welcome to Refuge Church Podcast. Pastor Nicole here, and we're almost through our Refocus series. And this week, we fix our eyes on how Jesus fostered deep and meaningful relationships. We'll look at how his life taught us how to love so that we could build lasting relationships that produce lasting fruit. Jesus has called us friends so that we can make disciples of all nations, teaching them how to love the way he first loved us. Thank you for listening and be challenged to make disciples this week as you listen to this message on relationships. You know, just just follow my lead. Okay. Come on, Chandler. All right. Okay. try again. Okay. Okay. Oh. Okay, yeah, I think it's really stuck now. I can't believe that didn't work. I know, me neither. I mean, you had a sketch. Now, what did you mean when you said pivot? Good evening. Any friends, fans in the house? Love for I share that tonight because it's well one it's one of my favorite scenes in Friends and I don't know if you can really be a true friend unless that's like in like your top five or so I mean it is mine one of my other favorites is um it's from uh, season seven from the episode uh, the one with Joey's new brain and Chandler and Monica are getting married and Ross wants to play bagpipes at their wedding. And so he's playing for him, and it's just awful. It's just the most god-awful noise you've ever heard. And he's playing, celebrate good times, come on. And so he's like, you know it, sing along. And Phoebe gets on the edge of the couch, elbows on her knees, and instead of singing the words, she starts mimicking the bagpipe noises. I've seen it like 132,000 times, and I still laugh like I'm going to pee in my pants. So I share this tonight for a reason, for Um, a purpose, because I don't think there's a better representation of a good friend than somebody that will help you carry a couch upstairs, up up one flight of stairs, two flight of stairs, even from a moving truck into your front door. I don't think that there's a better uh, definition of friendship, and you can kind of tell what kind of friends you have by those who show up to help you move. But let's be real, once we get north of 30, we just hire people to do that. Our backs are going out. I slept wrong last night, and now I can only turn like this because I slept wrong. It's It's like the easiest thing to do, and I did it wrong and hurt my neck. But 
We're talking about friends tonight. We're talking about relationships tonight. And I shared that because I like to start off with a little bit of a laugh. Um, We're continuing in our series calling Refocus, Fixing Our Eyes on Jesus, where we're talking about what it means to live intentionally. With Jesus at the center, we've covered physical health, mental health, and tonight we're kind of looking at our relational health. At dinner last week, uh, sitting around the table, getting to know some friends, we were talking about the service, and I mentioned that mental health was kind of a fun and easy sermon for me to write. I have um, a little bit of knowledge in the field. I'm uh, trying to become a mental health counselor. It just was a topic that came easy to me, and I made the comment along the lines of like, but I'm not so great at like the relationship stuff. And then I got a hard side eye from my fiance. And then just lots of laughter from around the table. But because am I an expert at dating? No. At marriage? No. Um, At parenting? Emphatic? No. Am I an expert on friendship? Again, no. But what I am is an apprentice and a disciple to the expert. So this is not a sermon on marriage or dating. Don't freak out. But I believe what I do share tonight can be applied across the spectrum of our relationships. So where do we start? I didn't, honestly, since, like I said, I'm not an expert, I didn't really know where to start with this one. And Tuesday, Tuesdays are usually my sermon writing day. I have the whole day, I'm usually here, but life happened, um, something, something uh, I got some bad news on Tuesday, we had, like, have some family stuff going on, and I, I really didn't know where to start. I sat down, stared at a blank word document, you know, I wasn't just in a bad mood. I really didn't like people, especially old Christian white dudes. I really just had an issue with them on Tuesday. And so I put at the top of my Word document, a working title for tonight, um, how to be a good friend when you don't really like people. That's what I started out. That's where I started. But I was like, I can't get up there and preach a sermon about not liking people, because let's be real, people suck, am I right? We, humanity as a whole, we're just kind of crummy. And I could get up here, and I could, <laughs> I could do 60 minutes of why humanity is just awful, but I was like, that's not, that's not great. And since this is going online, let me try to find something nice to say. So I reached out to Brian. He sent me a couple uh, old sermons he's preached on the topic before, you know, th- that kind of helped get the brain juice flowing. I went to Google. Um, that's a good place to start. It gave me some articles and some ideas. And then I went to, because it's 2024, chat GPT. And he actually, I say he, but it actually wrote my sermon for me tonight. So I'm just kidding. I did it with his help. But But I could have, with his help and Brian's sermons, I really could have fudged my way into a halfway decent sermon. And you wouldn't have known any better. You would have just been like, eh, Nicole had an off night and not using AI and other people's ideas. But sitting there staring at the blank word document with no idea what to do, a little bit angry, a little bit jaded, a little bit mad at humanity, I just thought back to the name, the title of our series, Refocus, Fixing Our Eyes on Jesus. And like I said, I'm not an expert, but I follow the one who is. So I asked myself, what kind of friend is Jesus? And just like last week, we can adapt Jesus' practices for good mental health and good self-care. We can do the same for the way that he fostered and had good, deep relationships. So let's start here with this question. Do I need friends? This is an easy one. Come on, everyone together. No. Who said no? Nice. (laughs) 
See, I was building up for that joke, too, and there's a bunch of introverts, like, with their good necks. But let's go back to the beginning. Let's look at Genesis, Genesis chapter 2, 18, and it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. So, okay, I know what you're thinking. Nicole, the Bible is clear. This is clearly about marriage. Maybe, sure, okay, probably not. But you could make a case for it. But I want to broaden it a little bit tonight. And you know me, I love a good word study. The Hebrew word used here, make, uh, how do we get it to not go over the whole sermon? Okay. <laughs> that happened last week too. Dance break. Um, okay. I'm just going to wait a second because... It played, it played the whole five minutes on the recording last week. And I spent six hours Monday trying to get the music out of the recording so that it could go on the website and the podcast. It's impossible. It's impossible. So I just ended up putting up the original recording. So we're good. So let's work, look at this Hebrew word used for the man here, which is Adam. Which, like, I really love that the people who translated it from Hebrew to English were like, what should we name the first man? I'm like, Adam, like no creativity, no originality there. It's Adam. And so this meaning here in Genesis 2 is twofold. Yes, it is referring to a specific individual, Adam, the first human. But as always, the Hebrew word is much deeper. It's a little bit more complex than just one singular man. It's used here in Genesis 2 is to represent all humanity, or as we like to say at Refuge, all people. So God's declaration here that it's not good for the man to be alone actually reflects an essential truth in our human nature and our inherent need for companionship and relationship. The next part of that verse is God makes a helper. This is beyond a spouse. This is beyond a romantic relationship. The Hebrew word for helper used here is azer. And this word, it does not mean subordinate. It does not mean inferior. It does not mean your sandwich maker. Remember, I was a little bit mad at old Christian white man. So if my feminist comes out a little bit, I do apologize. <laughs> but instead of wife, spouse, help, um, inferior, or subordinate, this word would have evoked to the original reader and hearer a sense of partnership and support. Azer was actually used a lot in the Old Testament when referring to God, when he would intervene and be a helper and support to his people. So it's used here in Genesis 2, tells us how crucial, how important help, support, and partnership is. We could read it like this. The Lord God said, it is not good for humans to be alone. So I will give them partners and support. So beyond marriage, beyond romantic relationship, this passage gets to a much deeper sense of companionship. Making plain our human condition and God's intention from the beginning for community, for supportive relationships, for all people, all of humanity. Our need for friendship and companionship and community, it goes beyond just being part of human nature. It was designly and divinely instilled in us from the very beginning. It was God's intention from the start 
that we would have community, relationship, and partnership. There's no better way to live intentionally than to live in community, to live in deep relationships with other people. A shallow, empty relationship, that stuff is easy. It's the hi, how you doing? I'm good. I'm living the dream stuff that you do and passing people in the foyer at church. That costs us nothing. That's easy to do. But deep relationships are intentional. We have a lot of reasons or excuses that we like to use for not seeking deep relationships. A lot of us have a fear of rejection. We have a fear of being who we really truly are and then being rejected for it. So to avoid rejection, we just simply don't seek out relationships. We've been hurt before, so we've been left jaded, and emotional wounds run deep. And if we've been hurt significantly from important relationships in our life, it becomes harder and harder to trust people. So we stay on the shallow end instead of going into the deep. We want to avoid conflicts. Deep relationships are hard. You have conflicts. You butt heads. And so instead of having deep, meaningful conversations where we might disagree, where we might argue, we just avoid relationship and conflict altogether. Easy peasy. We have social anxiety. Social anxiety is a real thing. I feel it sometimes. If I've ever asked you to breakfast, lunch, coffee, dinner, or anything, know that I have a little bit of social anxiety. And that's not you personally. I have social anxiety even doing it with like my best of friends. Like I just, social anxiety is a real thing. We're also, we can be pessimistic, grumpy, cynical people. We've been hurt. We've abandoned. We've seen only dysfunction. And this can lead us to just avoid all relationships completely. I'm just going to get hurt so there's no reason for me to invest in anybody. And these feelings are valid. Okay, I'm not here to tell you that if you feel any of these things, you're wrong. You're going to hell. It's absolutely the opposite of Jesus. No, these reeling feelings are real and valid, and I don't want you to feel overlooked. And therapy is a really good place to start if you feel any of these things, living intentionally. We talked about that last week. So we must live intentionally to overcome these things. Because if we rest in these excuses and avoid deep connections and deep relationships, it's going to be detrimental to our mental health. Life without relationships can negatively affect our mental health. So the first thing we're going to learn from Jesus tonight is seeking connection over comfort. Jesus did this time and time again. The first example we're going to look at is in Luke 19 verse 6. It says, Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. But people were displeased and they grumbled. He has gone to be a guest in the house of a notorious sinner. Having dinner with a tax collector in this day and age was not a comfortable choice. This would have been seen as dining with a traitor, somebody who was... um, complicit in oppression to the Jewish people. So Jews viewed tax collectors as traitors. Tax collectors were a lot of times dishonest. So Jesus going into his home would have brought his reputation into question, not comfortable. Because of this, Jesus faced criticism and judgment. None of those things are comfortable. But Jesus chose the connection to Zacchaeus over all that discomfort. We see it again in John chapter 4 with Jesus and the woman at the well. 
It says, soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone, and the woman was surprised because Jews refused to have anything to do with the Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Breaking cultural and gender barriers was not comfortable. Jews avoided Samaritans like the plague. So standing up to this kind of prejudice in that day and age would have been uncomfortable. In religious law, men and women were not supposed to speak to each other in public. So breaking this standard for Jesus could have been uncomfortable because he was a rabbi. He was a teacher. He was a well-respected man. And he's speaking to not just a Samaritan, but a woman. This entire interaction is unconventional and uncomfortable, but Jesus wanted that connection. And this connection he made with her, then turned her into a disciple, and then she went and brought her whole entire town to Jesus because of that deep connection that he made. We see it again in John 11. Lazarus has died, and he uh, comes upon his sisters in a crowd of people, and he says, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up in him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him, he asked. And they told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. Grieving with people is not comfortable. Loss, pain, grief, these are not comfortable emotions. But Jesus showed compassion and empathy and sat with these people as they were mourning. And I love this because Jesus ultimately raises Lazarus from the dead. You know, do we all know that story? Jesus tells him to get up and he gets up. And I love what Jesus does here. Instead of being like, y'all, just calm down. Give me one second to put my magic gloves on. It's going to be okay. Jesus didn't have magic gloves. I'm sorry. That was, that was irreverent and disrespectful to the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. But Jesus wasn't like, I got this, guys. He's just going to be alive in one second. Instead of showing off his power, He decided that he was going to sit in the discomfort of grief with his people. Also in this moment, we see the next thing that's important in a good relationship, what Jesus shows us. Showing these emotions, living in this grief, expressing the hurt and the anger, being deeply troubled, shows that Jesus had an intense vulnerability. In Matthew 16, 21 It says, from then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem. He told them that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and the leading priests and teachers of religious law. He told them he would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. Jesus was open about his suffering, sharing fear, worry, anxiety, stress, pain with his disciples. Jesus talking about his impending death is Jesus talking about his humanity. And there's nothing more vulnerable than admitting you are human. In Matthew 26, right before Jesus is arrested, it says, Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, Sit here while I go over there to pray. Then he took Peter, James, and John. 
and he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Rather than facing this anguish alone, Jesus confides in people. Sharing the depth of his fear. Not just talking about what's going to happen, but living through it. Living in grief in front of people is uncomfortable. Asking for help is uncomfortable. But when Jesus asks his disciple to stay here and keep watch, he is reaching out to them for help. Even though he is their savior, even though he knows the outcome of what is coming, he needs their support. Matthew 3, then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. John tried to talk him out of it. He said, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. So why are you coming to me? But Jesus said it should be done for we must carry out all that God requires. So John agreed to baptize Jesus. Humility is vulnerability. And this isn't just about Jesus being baptized by John. Baptism is a sign of repentance. So Jesus is putting his, putting his full humanity on display. Now, Jesus didn't have anything to repent for. But he's showing and demonstrating his commitment to his people to be one with them in a very humbling and vulnerable act of being baptized. Jesus lived out intense vulnerability even to death on the cross. He shows he valued connection over comfort and vulnerability over his reputation, and he puts this all into practice by valuing, valuing deep and meaningful conversations. Part of being a deep church that fosters deep connection and deep study and deep relationships means having deep, meaningful conversations about beliefs, about theology, about politics, you know, all the easy stuff. Having deep, meaningful conversations about our life, our children, our hurt, our grief, our anger, our joy, our excitement, our hope, our encouragement. Deep, meaningful conversations, not just about the bad, but all of the good. In John 3, Jesus has a deep, meaningful conversation with a Pharisee named Nicodemus. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus scratching his head, puzzled look on his face, says, how can an old man go back into his mother's womb? And I think it's very, very easy for us to read this and think Nicodemus is really, really dumb. And you can make a case that first century um, thinking, first century hearers of this would have no idea what being born again. This was a foreign concept to them. And you can make a case that, yeah, Nicodemus was a big dummy. But what if like a good friend engaging in a deep, meaningful conversation with somebody, Nicodemus was like, nobody. You know those vague Facebook posts where they're like, oh, I'm just really going through it. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, what's wrong? And they're like, I just can't talk about it. It's like, no, you need to elaborate on that. I think that's what Nicodemus is doing here. He's like, no way, you're not just going to say something so vague and open for interpretation without elaborating, elaborating on it. I need you to tell me what you really mean. Nicodemus pushed deeper 
So Jesus went deeper, so deep that we get the most popular Bible verse ever in the world for God so loved the world. Deep, meaningful conversations. At the Last Supper, Jesus had deep, meaningful conversations with his friends. One of the best places to have good conversations is around a table with good food like Blaze Pizza. The Last Supper is where Jesus told his disciples to abide in him. This is where Jesus promises us the Holy Spirit, our helper, and our advocate. This is where Jesus promises us us a peace that the world does not offer. This is where Jesus is honest about the trials that are to come. And this is where Jesus called his disciples his friends. John 15 says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you all of these things so that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment to love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. The command is to love. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. You are my friends. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. So that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Jesus chose connection over comfort. Vulnerability over his reputation. And he had deep, meaningful conversations. So what? Who cares, right? From the beginning, we've been creatively designed for relationship intentionally on purpose. But why? So what? Who cares? Why were we made intentionally for these connections and these relationships? And I believe that answer is found in Matthew 28. It says in verse 16, Then the eleven friends of Jesus went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And then Jesus came to them and said, All authority... In heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, in the ho- baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. I have commanded you to love, so teach them how to love. And surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. Discipleship is not a ministry Of the church. Discipleship is the ministry of the church. And discipleship happens in these deep, meaningful relationships where we're connected with each other, where we're vulnerable with each other, when we're having deep conversations. And we see Jesus putting this into practice in John 21. We see connection over comfort. We see vulnerability. We see deep, meaningful conversation. We see intentional discipleship. We even see them sharing a meal together. 21.15 says, After breakfast, 
Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter was probably picking gravy biscuits out of his teeth. And he's like, yeah, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus told him, feed my lambs. Jesus repeats the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Jesus tells him, take care of my sheep. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was hurt that Jesus kept asking this question. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Jesus asking Peter if he loved him probably could have ended very poorly for Jesus. See, this conversation comes after Jesus' resurrection, which means it comes after Peter's denial. So Jesus was possibly opening himself up for disappointment because he'd been denied by Peter, hurt by Peter, betrayed by Peter, broken by Peter. But in an action of deep vulnerability, he extends grace and forgiveness, addressing the conflict and then restoring what was broken, despite the discomfort it could cause. And when Jesus is vulnerable, we see it creates a safe place for Peter to be vulnerable further healing and strengthening their relationship. Peter was hurt. He probably told Jesus he was hurt. And he was able to express that because Jesus created that safe place for vulnerability. And each time Peter affirms his love for Jesus, Jesus' response, Jesus' command was, feed my sheep. Jesus is saying, this is your responsibility now. I showed you how to do it. Now go show others how to do it so they can show others how to do it. Our responsibility as Jesus' friends and disciples is to love one another and disciple one another. We need to be challenging each other in our thinking. We need to help each other stay focused on the main thing, keeping our eyes on Jesus. That is why a deep church needs to be a safe church where it's safe to be vulnerable, where it's safe to be yourself, where it's safe to ask questions, where it's safe to express that, where it's safe to express that you don't quite understand. And these kind of relationships, they just don't happen by accident. They are intentional. Discipleship is intentional living. Friendship, intentional living. Connection is intentional. Vulnerability is intentional. Conversations have to be intentional. Meals, man, they're intentional. Intentionally invite me to dinner like I like to eat. John 15, I want to go back to that. Jesus says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Jesus is telling us that he was once an apprentice of his father, learning how to love from the source of love. And this is my commandment, to love each other in the same way I have loved you. Jesus says, the way I learned to love from my father is the way that I love you. So learn from the way that I love you and love one another. You are my friends if you do what I command. 
and no longer call you slaves because a master does not confide in his slaves. You are my friends. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and make lasting fruit. I'm going to invite the band to come up. And as we close with worship tonight, our challenge tonight is going to be threefold. You know, we're a small church. We're exploring ways to outreach and grow, trying to find new areas to get people to plug in and moving within their call. But here's the thing. We are all called to discipleship. Jesus didn't say, your pastors need to go and make disciples of all nations or or uh, your worship leaders need to go and make disciples of all nations. He said, go, everybody, all people, all humanity, go and make disciples of all nations. So here's the challenge for you tonight. Threefold. One, write down, think of, type them in your phone, text them to yourself, email them to yourself. Three people in your life who you know you can disciple. Now, this does not mean that you have to sit down and walk them through verse-by-verse Bible studies. If that's where you are with your friends, go for it. More power to you. But discipleship just looks like love. Three people who you can love and bring to Jesus. Two, seek out and foster deep connections with the people in this room. That's why we're going to blaze tonight. This room is your community. This room is your helper. This room is your support. To not foster deep, meaningful conversations with the people in this room is not being a good steward of the gift God has given us. And if I can be honest, I'm preaching that as much to myself as anybody in this room. Like I said, I'm an introvert. I have social anxiety. Sometimes after preaching, I'm so freaking exhausted. I just want to go home and go to bed. But I have to be intentional beyond my humanity to connect with people. And the last thing I want us to do tonight is ask God to show you how you can repair broken relationships with him, with other, with the church, with religion, with relationships in general. The thing about Jesus says that even, even Peter says, it says, Lord, you know everything. Jesus knew people in this world would betray him. He knew that people would hurt him and abandon him. He knew that time and time again, humanity was going to disappoint him. Because again, reminder, humanity, we suck as a whole. All of us. I suck. You suck. Brian sucks. We all suck. That was a, that was a joke. He doesn't really suck. Either I'm preaching really good that you guys are so focused or I'm not funny. I'm going to go with the former because the second one will just really hurt my heart. But even though he knew all these things, he still sought connection to us over the comfort of heaven. And I'm going to read one more, one more verse of scripture as we move into our time of worship. It's from Philippians 2, 5 through 8, and I'm reading from the message version. It says, think of yourselves the way Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God, but did not think so much of himself that he had to cling to the advantages of that status no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave. Jesus became human. He became part of this awful humanity. Having become human, he stayed human. 
And it was an incredibly humbling process. He didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a selfless, obedient life and died a selfless, obedient death. And the kind of worst death at that, a crucifixion. Fixing our eyes on how much Jesus loved us so that we can love one another and produce lasting fruit. Will you stand and worship with us tonight? Thank you.